We're going to be talking tonight about principles of service in the local church. But before we do that, I just want to share a few general thoughts that sort of cover the entire passage we're going to be looking at tonight. First of all, I just want to say it is awesome to be the pastor of a church where we have so many folks that have a heart for service. Um, I just really appreciate the heart for service that, that you all have here at the Oasis. And God appreciates that as well. Uh, he wants us to be servants. Second, let's remember that Paul was writing this to a young pastor. And he was in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, wanting Timothy to give these instructions to the household of God, to the family of God, the church of the living God. It is a reminder to us that predominantly the ministry of the local church is to be geared towards the people of God. Let me repeat that. <laughs> predominantly the ministry of the local church is to be geared and directed towards the people of God. So many churches today ask the people of God to sort of play second fiddle as they try to reach unbelievers and gear their ministry toward the unbeliever rather than the believer. Folks, that's not biblical. The church is the family of God. The church is the people of God made up. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. There is nowhere in Scripture where an unbeliever is commanded to come to church. But there are many commands, if you will, for the believer to go into the world and shine our light. See, the way the local church is supposed to operate, predominantly, now it doesn't mean that an unbeliever is not welcome at the Oasis or shouldn't be welcome at any local church. But the church is not to gear its ministry towards the unbeliever. We are to gear our ministry towards the edifying and the building up and the growth and the maturing of the believer so that then the believer can be equipped to go into the world and be a light and share their faith and maybe share Christ with people who are lost, get them saved, and then bring them into the church where they can grow up in Christ as well. So that's what Paul's saying here as well. Because what he's going to talk to us about tonight is the service that's not to take place outside the church. It's the service that's to take place in the church. The things that you and I are to do for one another, in a sense, again, to build each other up. Because God has given each of them, and we're going to talk about this in the book of Ephesians in a couple of weeks. God has given every believer at least one spiritual gift. And those spiritual gifts are given to us to edify our brothers and sisters in Christ, to build them up. That's where we're, why we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts in the church so that we can build each other up and strengthen each other and grow each other up so that then we can go out and be a mighty force outside the church, you see. And then tonight, Paul uses two terms 
the term overseer in verse 1 and the term deacon in verse 8 that we really don't have a direct equivalent to in our modern day church and even at the Oasis. In other words, at the Oasis, we really don't have deacons. Now, in the Baptist church that I grew up in, we had deacons. But even that really doesn't follow the biblical model, because all a deacon means is one who has a heart for service. They don't need to actually fulfill or fill a certain position or role in the church. It's really anybody who has a heart for service and maybe even who, uh, who serves at a high level. Well, we have many of those, women and men, at the Oasis. From all of our, you know, our worship leader, our children's ministry leader, our, our ministry leaders, to many of you who support other ministries and all that, you could be considered, in the strict biblical sense, a deacon or a deaconess, if you're a woman. So we don't really have an equivalent of that. And the the term overseer could be taken in some ways to be sort of a, a, a slash pastor elder there. But we really don't have a direct equivalent to that. What we do see in the passage we're going to look at tonight is this. That God has a a standard for serving Him. And it's not that God is looking for perfect people to serve Him, because if He was, none of us would be serving. But God does want us to focus on the quality of our service more than the quantity. And that's something else that we as local churches can, can learn from. So often, local churches today are more interested in the quantity of the service they're doing than the quality of it. And God is looking more for a few quality servants who can then produce quality, excellent ministry. In God's mind, from God's perspective, He would rather have just a few things going on, but doing it at a really excellent high level than for churches to say, yeah, we got hundreds of ministries, but we're not really doing any of them at a high, excellent level. Which is why God in this passage puts the premium on the people behind the service and says, this is, the, this is who I'm looking for, if you will, and giving us some real instruction and principles on service. Things that you and I can, I think, apply both personally and as a church to to the situation. Because even though this is, again, directed towards overseers and deacons, these principles can be applied to any Christian who wants to serve God. So I hope you'll take it that way as we go down through there tonight. So I'd like to get through the first 13 verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3 this evening. And with that, let me start out in verse 1 of chapter 3 with what Paul says. This saying, Timothy, is trustworthy. It's dependable. It can be relied on. It is a teaching that 
can give you a firm foundation. And that's something I want us all to keep in mind. The things that God gives us in His Word are all trustworthy. They are principles that can be relied on. Principles that are dependable. Principles that can give us stability in our life. Principles that can provide a firm foundation for our life. Let's never forget that. What God gives us is a firm foundation if we will build our lives on it. And God is looking for servants. It is our reasonable response to God for all that He has done for us to serve Him in some way. Every Christian, true Christian, should be serving God in some way. And let me even go a step further. Every Christian should in some way be serving God in their local church. Because that's what Paul is talking about. Remember, Paul is saying, Timothy, you are a pastor of the church at Ephesus. These are your instructions as the pastor to pass along to your people in that church. So obviously then, these are given to us so that we, in some way, in some capacity, can be serving God in our church family. Because that's what he says in chapter 3, verses 15 and 14 and 15. I'm writing these instructions to you in case I'm delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God because it is the church of the living God. So everything Paul tells Timothy in this whole letter it's about how Christians should do church, how we should behave in church, how we should conduct ourselves as Christians in the church. He's not even going to talk to us anything so much about outside the church ministry. Hey, nothing wrong with that. But Paul is, is providing sort of the, the priority that it starts first in the church and then branches out from there. That's where it's got to start. And that's what Paul is saying is also trustworthy here. So, verse 1, chapter 3. If someone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. I want to talk about the word aspires. It's something that's important for any of us that want to serve the Lord. The word literally means to be willing to be stretched out in order to reach something. That's what the word means. And it is a reminder to us that any of us who want to serve the Lord has to be willing to be stretched. That's just part of it. As you and I grow and go through serving the Lord, God is going to continue to stretch us. He's never going to allow us to get to a place where we can get comfortable and complacent because if we get there and we stay there too long, we stop growing. The only way you and I keep growing is, first of all, to serve in some way. That's part of how you and I grow and mature. And secondly, in that service, to be stretched. What are we aspiring to, you see? What are we willing to be stretched out to? I was sharing with a few folks before Bible study tonight. God always prefers us to be in the water than in the boat. Think of Peter. God doesn't want us to stay 
in our comfort zone. God will always call us out of our comfort zone and stretch us beyond where we are comfortable. Especially tonight because she left. I'm going to mention Nicole here tonight because she's a great example of this. What, what she's doing here, this is really out of her comfort zone. She would prefer to have somebody come and play for her, but she's gotten to a place where with work schedules and things like that, she's finding it really hard to find somebody to accompany her on Wednesday night. And she just realized that part of that was God wanted to stretch her and get her going on maybe playing the keyboard more. Because that's something that he's been leading her to do. Folks, that's true of all of us. I mean, it doesn't matter how long we've done something, God's not going to let us stay where we are because that's not how we grow. We've got to be willing to be stretched out. How does that translate in your life tonight? Are you serving in some way? And if so, has it gotten sort of comfortable? Is there something within that ministry that then God wants to bring along to maybe stretch you there? Or does God want to even get you going into something else that would stretch you? That's part of serving. And if we're not willing to be stretched throughout our Christian life, then we are going to limit the outreach and opportunities we will have to serve Jesus Christ. And we will limit our spiritual growth. All of us need to be willing to be stretched out in order to reach things. Now, in this case, obviously, it is this office of overseer. It's just a word that speaks about leadership in the local church. Those who have been called to look intently upon the church and provide care to the people of the church. And then Paul goes on to say, if they do this, they desire a good work. The word desire is an interesting word. And one that comes into play when it comes to serving God. It is a word that speaks about setting our heart on something. It talks about having a focused passion. You see, in order for us to also effectively serve God, there's got to be something that grips and grabs our heart. God doesn't want us to just serve unenthusiastically unenergetically. God wants His people, when we are serving Him in His church, with His people, to be doing it passionately. So that's why I encourage Christians. What, are your, what is your passion? What, what do you get excited about as far as serving the Lord? 
What is it that gets you up and maybe even keeps you up and gets you on your knees and gets you up off your knees and, 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 and is something that grips you? Paul said to the Colossians, whatever we do for the Lord, let's do it with enthusiasm. Colossians 3, verse 23. Do it with enthusiasm. Do it with passion. That's what desire means. And Paul is saying to Timothy, if you have some that aspire to this office in the church, they desire a good work. The word good means beautiful. In the eyes of God, that's beautiful. That someone would be passionate about providing care and looking intently on the people of God. But God would feel that way about anything that we do for His name and in His name, especially to benefit and profit His children, the people of God. What is our desire? Not only what is our aspiration, but what is our desire? These are things that we need to take into account when it comes to serving the Lord. And then beginning in verse 2 of chapter 3, We're not going to define each of these, but Paul basically puts to Timothy a a sort of representative list, if you will, of again, a a sort of a, a measuring stick, a measuring rod, a standard for leadership in the church and really for service in the church. And again, even though that this is directed towards the overseers, It's not like any Christian who's serving the Lord in the church shouldn't aspire to this either. Like, well, if you're serving the Lord at this capacity, then you can be whatever. I mean, let's remember in the early church in the book of Acts, when the widows of the Greek believers were being neglected, they stopped everything and they chose some people to take care of these widows. And if you look at the kind of people that they chose to take care of the widows in the church, I mean, it was the best of the best. Because again, I think the people of God, we need to realize if we're going to do anything, any kind of ministry in the church, it should be a high quality. If we can't do it at a high quality, if we can't do it excellently, then let's not do it at all. Which is something I've tried to keep my arms around and instill at the Oasis in the first six and a half years. It's easy to say, well, we should be doing this and and we should get involved with this and we should take on this ministry. But the problem is, a lot of times we don't have the manpower or enough people passionate about it or interested in it to really do it well or to sustain it over the long haul. So before we all get all these ideas about things we should do, let's make sure that whatever we can do, we have enough people that's willing to do it and to do it at a high level and to do it over the long haul. If not, then maybe it's a timing thing. Maybe it's not that we should never do it, but maybe we need to pray for more laborers to come into the harvest to help us out. Something like that. So what Paul's going to concentrate on now is simply this. And this is something that we as local churches need to again be reminded of and hear. God cares more about who we are than what we can do. So often in local churches today, if someone is talented or gifted or skilled in something, 
then they are automatically tapped to serve God in some capacity. And I'll even go so far as to say this. There are local churches that even tap unbelievers because of their skill in certain things to serve in the church. Listen, folks. Service in the church is never to be done by an unbeliever. You can't find that in the Bible. And then even then, the Bible says, and even for believers, there needs to be a standard to serve the Lord. And that's why then he says, verse 2, the overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money. Who we are. Character matters to God. And instead of putting ability and skill and giftedness first, the local church should be looking for men and women of character first. Then competency. Then skill and ability and all that. Because, let's face it, if we are putting the right people in the right places of ministry and service in the local church, the Bible tells us God will equip them and gift them to do it anyway to what He's called them to. So I don't really need to focus on are they going to be able to do what God's called them to do. If God's calling them to do it, then He gives them the gifts and abilities and equipment to do it. What we have to concentrate on and be accountable to each other for is who are we putting in ministry? Who are we putting in leadership? Who are they? You see. And their private life and who they are behind the scenes, behind closed doors, in their personal life, is really more important because who we are in private will at some point be reflected in who we are and who we become in public. And that's why Paul says, Timothy, you need to lay out this standard for serving the Lord. Then notice very interestingly, Paul spends a couple verses on this principle, and I want to touch on it as well. He says, oh, and he must manage his own household well, keeping his children in control without losing his mind. No, without losing his dignity. Sorry, I thought I'd add that. And then notice verse 5. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? Wow. Here's what Paul is saying. The Christian's home is the proving ground and training ground for Christian service.
Paul is arguing, obviously, from the lesser to the greater. He's teaching a principle that Jesus shared many times in his earthly ministry. And that is this principle. If I can handle these things, then God will entrust to me more. But if I prove that I can't even handle this, then God's not going to entrust me with anything else. God's going to first want me to get my arms around being able to manage this before He moves me on to something else. You think about if this principle would have been applied down through church history, how the church could have maybe even spared itself or saved itself from people that got into positions and were given positions in local churches that really never should have. Because if one would have just taken a little bit of time to observe their household, if their household is chaotic and a mess, how do we expect them to hold down any kind of leadership with greater numbers of people in the church? And that's what Paul's saying. So again, that's why this principle, though, applies to all of us who want to serve God. Because what God is saying to all of us is, I want to give you this. Show me you can handle this. Show me you can be faithful over this. If you and I can show ourselves faithful to this and we can manage this, then God is more than willing to give us more. Because God wants to always give us more responsibility. He always wants to expand our outreach and our opportunities to serve Him. He does. But God will only expand our opportunities and our outreach as we prove ourselves faithful to what He's already given us. You see. Now let me come back to something else here that we need to touch on. He says in verse 5, if someone does not know how to manage his own household. And he's, he's not saying, well, I, I can't know. It's not like God says, hey, I expect leaders in my church to get their own house in order first before they come into the church and provide any kind of leadership. But if you don't know how, well, just too bad for you. No. There's always a way to know how to do the things that God gives us responsibility to do. So when he says, if they don't know how, then for someone that doesn't know how, how do they learn? How do people today know? How do people who come into the local churches today, how do they know how to manage their household? How do they know how to be the husband and wife they should be? How do they know how to be the parents that they should be? I'll tell you how. First of all, by being faithful to the church and being taught by the Word of God. Because the Word of God gives instructions to husbands, to wives, to parents, to children about how to run a household to the glory of God. And so if I really want to know how to manage a household effectively, I will sit under the teaching and I will study the Word of God diligently so that I know the principles of how to manage a household. But secondly, the other thing, and especially we run into this in our day and age more and more, 
is there are so many people in younger and younger generations who grow up who've had no good example in their life of how to be a godly man, a godly woman, how to be a godly husband, a godly wife, how to be a a godly parent. They don't know because they never were provided with good godly examples in their own life. So where do we learn? In the church. See, if we're in the church like we're supposed to be, then we can look around and we can find examples and we can find mentors and we can find people that can show us and teach us and spend time with us of how to do this. That's what the whole women's ministry is about as far as its Titus 2 emphasis. The older women, the more experienced, seasoned women in the church, teaching the younger women how to love their husbands, how to be keepers at home. All that's supposed to take place in the church. But if you can't get people to buy into the church, they might remain ignorant. And then they'll sit back and go, I wish I knew more how to be a good spouse or how to be a good parent or whatever. Well, get into church where you can be taught and where you can look around and find people that can help you. Because that's why God calls us to be part of His family. Sorry, I... Things that are being so neglected today. And yet it's right in front of our eyes. And then Paul says in verse 5, If someone does not know how to manage their own household, how will they care for the church of God? God's looking for people that care. That's part of serving. And the word care here, speaks about directing our minds towards something. Filling our thinking with something. That's how you and I know we care about someone or something. Because we're going to think about them or think about it. It, it, We're going to direct our thoughts and our mind towards something if we care about it. And Paul's saying God's looking for people... His people who care. Because here's the thing. If my mind is so focused with trying to deal with the chaos of my own household, then I have no time, energy, or focus to care for anything else. So that's why God is saying here, principle, get your own household in order so that that's not a distraction. So then you can direct your mind towards caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ and other things in the church. A couple other principles tonight. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert. Literally, the original language in the Greek is newly planted. Be careful not to elevate a new Christian, a baby Christian, a new believer to some leadership position in the church. You're just asking for trouble. They need to be willing to be taught and trained. Don't throw somebody just because they're willing to do something into something. First of all, they're not ready. They don't know the first thing about serving God yet. They need to to spend some time growing a little bit and figuring out 
how God wants us to serve Him. And all of that. Instead of just saying, oh, I I got the ability to do that, I'll, I'll handle it. There's so much more to spiritual service. Would a young Christian or a new convert know anything about the spiritual warfare that they're going to come up against as they start to serve the Lord? No. So there's so many things, so many aspects here that that Paul's saying, Timothy, don't elevate some new convert to something in your church. Encourage them to to, to grow for a while first before they attack. Because it's, it's a reminder to us that when we step into service, we automatically put a target on our chest. Anytime you and I are willing to step out and serve the Lord, we are going to be targets of our spiritual adversary, which is something Paul goes on to say. Notice he says, he may not be a recent convert or he may become arrogant, you know, all of a sudden get a big head because, oh, Man, I'm a leader in the local church. And they'll fall into the punishment that the devil will exact. Because once people start serving, guess what? We are going to meet the enemy. And that's something else we need to be aware of in serving God. We need to serve. It is our responsibility to serve the Lord as Christians. But make no mistake about it, we better be on our toes when we start to serve the God because the enemy will start throwing everything at us that he can. Because if he can't have our soul, because we've already nailed that down, we, we have been accepted in, in Christ, you know, our salvation is sealed, then the next thing that Satan will do is again to do everything he can to limit the outreach and opportunities to serve God for a Christian. He will try to render us ineffective in serving God. So that at least our light doesn't positively, or our life doesn't positively influence other people. That our our light doesn't shine. He might not be able to have our soul, but if he can render us in that way, then that's what he'll do. And then verse 7. He must be well thought of by those outside the faith. Wow! In other words, Paul was saying it's really important that in the local church that those who serve, especially in leadership, are respected even by unbelievers. They might not agree with us, but that there's a healthy respect by even unbelievers. That's interesting. Because some Christians in some churches could care less how they come across to unbelievers. But Paul says that's very important. That we also have a good reputation with unbelievers. So that, notice, he may not fall into disgrace and be caught by the devil's trap. There again is the devil. Always lurking there to try to Trip us up and limit our outreach and opportunities as we serve the Lord. Let's move on to deacons. And again, the word deacon, literally in the original language, literally means to kick up the dust as we're running to serve and wait on people. That's what the word deacon means. It's literally a picture of someone that's willing to do any kind of service at all. And usually it was used for menial service. Which sometimes that's what we... You know, it's not 
under the bright lights and all of that. It's behind the scenes. It's nobody notices. But, but, and that's what many of you do. You do things that, you know, aren't to call attention to yourself. And you do things behind the scenes and all that. That's really the heart of a deacon. Someone who's just kicking up the dust because they, they want to do for others and they want to do for the Lord but they don't want the glory themselves. They want the glory to go to God and they don't want the fanfare themselves. They, they just want to serve and they just do it out of a heart of love for God and love for others. That's what the word deacon means. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not two-faced, not given to excessive drinking, not greedy for gain, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And then notice this next principle, verse 10. And these also must be tested first and then let them serve as deacons. Same thing, same principle as the managing our household. Paul is saying to Timothy, don't throw somebody into serving in your local church that first of all hasn't been tested. Testing, proving has to come first. Then they serve. And I'll just confess, we have violated that at times at the Oasis and we've been burned every time. We need to just say, hey, especially as new people come, want to say, hey, that's great. We, we, we want you to serve. But, but here at the Oasis, we want to encourage you just to be with us for a while. Just to be with us for a while. And then later on, let's talk about service. Just be part of the family for a while. And let's see, are they faithful? What's their temperament like? How do they treat their brothers and sisters in Christ? First, let them be tested. Because what happens if we don't follow this principle is we throw people into service and then sooner or later they get real discouraged real quick or they just get overwhelmed or they just burn out. Because it's like, I can't deal with it. Well, maybe we threw somebody into serving and they weren't really ready or prepared or trained for it. And you all, especially, you know this even out there in the world more than even probably I do in the church, you know that to be true even in your own businesses and, and, and where you work in the world. You understand it. If, somebody, if a new employee is hired by your company or whatever and they weren't trained properly, how they could blow up so much if they're not properly trained or vetted. You know that. And that's all Paul's saying here. It's really a common sense thing. Before we throw somebody into something here, let's first get to know them and make sure that they know what they're getting into and that they know how to do what we're asking them to do. I mean, goodness gracious, how often the church has violated this. You know. I can remember growing up being part of a church where the pastor would get up there and, you know, oh, we... We need somebody to teach this two, four-year-old boy class. And he made everybody feel guilty because these four-year-old boys, they don't have anybody to teach. And somebody's like, well, I'll teach. 
Do you like boys? No. Especially four-year-old boys. Do you have a gift of teaching? No. But I just, I feel bad, so I'm, I'm going to step up. And, and then we wonder what happens in that class happens. Like it should be a surprise. Because we're putting people, and we're almost, we're almost setting them up to fail. And what Paul is saying to this young pastor and saying to all of us, let's make sure in the church that if we're asking people to come alongside and serve with us, that we, instead of setting them up to fail, we try to set them up to succeed. A lot of good stuff here, huh? At least I thought so. And then he goes on to say, and these also must be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they are found blameless. Likewise, also their wives. Now, I love the net translation. You know, I use that. But this is one of those instances where I don't like the way the net Bible translated this. I don't think the original language says their wives here. I think it means women. I think, again, he's just simply saying men who want to serve this is things you need to think about. And then women, verse 11, these are things you need to think about. I don't think he's, I don't think you can be definitive that he's saying, oh, now these are the wives of the deacons. No, I don't think you can get that from the original language. I think that's a stretch. So I would say, likewise, women who have a heart to serve must be dignified, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in every respect. Deacons must be husbands of one wife, good managers of their children and their own households. There's that principle again. And then I love this, how he ends this passage. For those who have served well as deacons, as those who have a heart to serve in the church, gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let me end tonight with these two. First of all, Paul is saying, if you serve well, then first of all, you're going to gain a good standing in the church body. What's he mean by that? It means you will acquire for yourself a platform of influence. That people within your church family will start coming to you. And asking you to pray for them and asking your advice and and asking your counsel and seeking you out for things. That's what it means by a good standing. You're going to start raising in your church family your level of influence. And then he says, and as you do that well and all that happens then you're going to start having a growing confidence, is what the word boldness means. You're going to have a growing confidence in your serving to where then you're going to be encouraged that, okay, I've I've done well there. God, give me me more. I'm, I'm ready, God. And it's going to give you more and more confidence as you handle again what God has entrusted to you well to then... Desire more. It's going to build your confidence in serving the Lord. Which is desperately needed for many Christians today. Many Christians today lack confidence in their serving. The only way we gain confidence and boldness in our service 
is to first of all just start. <laughs> but to start with the little things. To start with the immediate things right in front of us that we know God has entrusted to us and start doing those things well. Excellently. Managing the things that God has given to us there. And then once we show God that we can do that, then God will start to expand our horizons and give us more. Because again, it is always in the heart of God to give His children more and more responsibility. Remember, God has a plan for His people to one day rule over the angelic kingdom and rule and reign with Him in His kingdom. That's, that's our destiny. But God wants us to begin to learn how to rule and reign and manage things well down here. And He's given us everything we need to do it, as we've already talked about in the book of Ephesians. The heart of service. That's what Paul wanted to share with Timothy. Now next week, when you come back, we're going to be looking next week at one of the early worship songs in the church. Because many Christians don't realize that there are worship songs in the New Testament. Many people would say, well, I know there's worship songs in the Bible. It's, it's the book of Psalms, right? Those, those were songs. Yes. But they're not the only worship songs found in the Bible. There are some found in the New Testament as well that the early church sang. And we're going to talk about one of those next week. I, again, just want to thank you all for your heart of serving God and serving His people. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. And remember Hebrews 6.10 when you're serving the Lord. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love that you have shown toward His people. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. God will never forget the things that you do for Him as you minister to His people. Even Jesus said, a cup of cold water given in My name will not go unnoticed by God. Others might not notice. Others may forget. God will never forget your service for Him. God, we thank You today for the privilege and the responsibility we have as Your people to serve. But God, help us to see what service really is all about. And that service and learning to serve and being trained to serve and taught to serve really begins in the local church. It's something that many churches and Many people and Christians today just have neglected. So God, bring us back to the way we're supposed to do church and, and the way we're supposed to serve. Help us to begin to do things biblically, the way you have laid out here in your word. And God, we recognize that none of us are ever going to be perfect servants. But we can strive to be passionate servants. We can strive to be growing servants. We can strive to be servants that, that are willing to get out of the boat and get into the water. God, thank you for the service that has already taken place at the Oasis. And we pray, God, that our service, our opportunities, our outreach as a church would continue to grow. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. See you next week.